concerning those needs. Let's open your Bible tonight to the book of Acts chapter 14. I think I already told you that. And uh, we'll pick up this evening. We looked at verses 1 through 7 uh, this morning. What a blessing it was for all the children today and uh, that service today. Tonight we're going to look at verse number uh, 8 down to verse... We're going to look at verse 19 tonight and uh, as we continue uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, let's all stand together, please. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Father, we pray tonight for this service. We pray for the delivery and the message tonight, and allow your word to minister to us. Father, we're thankful for this blessed book. Uh, Lord, the, the book of Acts and, and the, the history of the New Testament church. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you'll use your word tonight to minister to us and help us. And uh, we're looking at this evening people's reactions to preaching. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us always to respond in the right way. So give me your help tonight. Lord, I need it and I ask you for it. And uh, Father, I just... Uh, I plead with you tonight that you'd help me to preach your word and help it to fall on ears that are ready to hear and uh, hearts that are open to receive. Bless it, we pray this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> My call to ministry was a little bit different than most, and... Uh, I often get asked about that um, just because of the way that the Lord just was moving in my heart. Uh, when I was 19, I just fell in love with the Bible. 
and I just couldn't get enough of it, and I fell in love with preaching. And I like to hear good preachers, and I, I sat there every service, and to this day, you can ask my wife, I have filing cabinets full of notebooks, of sermon notes that I would take, and uh, just things that I would write down uh, throughout the different messages that I heard preached. And every preacher was different. Everyone had their own style, they had their own ministry, and uh, they reached people in different ways. And I noticed that, I always noticed a little bit of that, and I've, over the years, I've tried to take a little bit of all the different ones that I heard and apply it to my own personality and uh, how God could use that. And I was just excited to hear uh, the word preached. And uh, my, my calling to ministry was different in the sense that uh, I was just, I just was, had a burden in my heart to tell people about Jesus. And uh, I would uh, work in the day, I'd go home at night, and I'd go visit someone. And I just wanted to share what God was doing in my own heart. And uh, the Lord just started opening up opportunities. And uh, he gave me youth groups to speak at. He gave... Uh, my pastor allowed me to preach the very first sermon on a Sunday morning on Father's Day of all times. And um, I, remember, I remember after that service, somebody said I was always touching my nose for some reason. I'll never forget that. You always remember the negative thing somebody says, right? You kept touching your nose. I don't know. I, I, I was looking through some things the other day, and I found that verse, very first uh, outline that I'd preached on Ephesians chapter number 2. And uh, just desire to tell people about Jesus. And, and then God started opening up opportunities. I, I'd speak at a school, uh, I st- spoke at a school and spoke to every kid from 7th grade to 12th grade. And, and uh, God just gave me opportunities to share his word and uh, tell people about the gr- goodness of God and the grace of God. And uh, I started getting the rescue mission. And uh, I noticed people had different reactions to preaching. Um, some people, they would get excited when you preach, and they'd say, man, and they'd get, uh, you know, they were all in the service, and I'd get done, and some guy would come over to me, and he'd hold up his d- book about Daniel Boone and says, if you really want to preach, you ought to read this book right here about Daniel Boone. And I said, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting take on preaching. Um, you, just, you just have different reactions. And uh, tonight, we're going to look here in this passage at the reactions, that's this is. I could preach this message and this outline in a lot of different ways, and the Lord just directed my heart uh, to focus on the reactions that people had to preaching. And the first thing I want us to pay attention to tonight is a testimony of the individual in verses eight through ten, and we see here that Paul proclaimed God's power, and in these three verses. The Bible emphasizes this man's hopelessness. It says his feet were impotent, meaning they didn't work. It says there in verse number 8 that he was crippled from birth. So his feet are impotent, he's crippled from birth, and then it says that he couldn't walk. I mean, not to beat a dead horse, right? I mean, if I was this guy... I would be like, okay, Lord, we get it. I'm a mess, all right? Everybody sees that. Everybody recognizes that. Three times in verse 8, we see his handicap identified. 
But imagine if that was you or me. Imagine if the Bible named your sin to everyone, announced you had this problem as a sinner since birth, and because of it, you are pretty much good for nothing. You and I, we'd both we'd be ready to hide our face. And it would, be tr- it would be the truth because God's Word said it. But it would still be hard for us to hear. And our face would tell us, would tell everyone what we thought about it and what we thought about the preaching. This is your sin. You've been this way since birth. You're pretty much good for nothing. And our face would reflect the thinking that's going on in both our mind and our heart. And I don't think it's any surprise that when I'm, when I'm preaching, I like to look people in the eye. And I'll call out Andrew by name. Because I want, I want to have a relationship while I'm talking to you. I want to preach and I, I want to see I want to see your face. I was uh, I told you I was speaking to the football team on Friday and uh, I was preaching on verses one through seven about being mature and handling distractions that are around us and, and getting better and improving and uh, just how the Bible applies to all aspects of life. And uh, I, I stated at one point, in this, in, all the guys are sitting in front of me, and I looked over this direction, and there was a guy sitting uh, on, the, on the bench right beside a locker. Uh, Coach Plunkett was to my right. And I just, in passing, was talking about Paul getting stoned, and I said, I bet some of you have been stoned before. I said that. And when I did, James, I'm looking at this one kid. I'm looking at him in the eye. And I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting to hear the reaction that I would get. And while I'm looking this kid in the eye, he's looking at me. And suddenly, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. And he, who, me? You know, he, he just, I didn't say you did, young man. I'm, just, I'm just, just looking at him in the eye was bothering him. He's like, I don't know. I don't know the kid's name, okay? I don't know anything about his life. But suddenly, just looking in his eye, got a reaction. When I'm preaching, I realize people are making a judgment of me. And don't tell me that you're not. People, when they hear a preacher for the first time, they want to know what's his style like. Is he more of a preacher or a teacher? Is he account meeting style preacher or is he scholarly? Is he loud or is he monotoned? Does he move around a lot or does he stand still? Is he passionate? What kind of storyteller is he? Does he keep my attention when he speaks? How good is he at relating to the people? Is he approachable or impossible to talk to? Is he funny? Or is he serious? Does he preach to to people or at people? How well does he know his Bible? Does he alliterate his messages? That was a good sermon. That was a bad sermon. I like him. I don't like him. Anytime a preacher is preaching, people are making judgments. What most people don't realize while a preacher is preaching, he's also reading the crowd. Because I I can be preaching away... 
And while I'm preaching, something gets my attention. Somebody gets my attention, and I'm, I'm watching everyone. I'm trying to read everyone and seeing if they're listening, how their reaction. I, I want to know, know what's going on in Cecil Berry's life. And while I'm preaching away, I can see some things by just his face, just the look that he has on his face. Just a minute ago, you wonder what I was about to say about you. Just, just, you can just tell by the look on your face. All right, so you're, you're reading people, and you're trying to... Uh, all of this stuff is just running through your mind. I remember years ago, I was preaching a revival service. And uh, uh, it was at this time, the Lord was bringing me from just being a preacher to become a pastor. Uh, for 10 years, I never had a pastor's heart. I did not want to be a pastor. But the Lord was changing my heart. And I had been fasting and praying about God's direction in my life. And I knew that he wanted something else from me. And I was preaching this particular revival uh, service. And that night, there was, a, there was some people in the crowd that night. And they were looking for a pastor. And when I got done, the service was over. They looked at one another. And uh, they came by me and they shook my hand. And I said, I'll see you guys. I'll see you guys soon. I never met them before. And uh, they just looked at one another, and they thought that was a God thing. And they, so they called my pastor and wanted to know if, uh, if I would be interested in, in being a pastor. And uh, we just, anyways, I ended up becoming their pastor. Same service. I'm preaching. And I'm going to say sitting about where Brian Barlock is sitting, a much smaller uh, auditorium. But there's, there's this guy that I know. And he had started a church. And he wanted me to become the pastor of that church. He wanted me to come there. I'd preach on their occasion, but I just didn't feel led to go there. And I remember him sitting in the congregation that night. And I'm preaching on Genesis chapter 3 on the fall of man. And I'm preaching, uh, I'm just preaching away. And I get to a place in the message where I said, some of you need to come out from among the trees. So some of you have committed some kind of sin in your life and you have run from God and you are hiding. And I said, you're out there, you're, you're in this place where you think no one can see you anymore and you've got it all covered up. I said, but here comes the voice of God walking through the garden, calling you by name. Gil, where art thou, Gil? Where art thou? And Adam's hiding. He's, he's hiding amongst the trees so he can't be found. And I said, some of you, and I look at this guy in the eye, and I said, some of you need to come out from among the trees. And as I'm preaching, his countenance goes from a smile and happiness to a very long face. And kind of like Paul was with this lame individual, Paul can't get away from him. He just, his eyes are constantly drawn back to this guy. He's preaching and he, he, just, he just constantly goes back to him. And my eyes just constantly kept coming back to him. And I remember after the service, he didn't come up to talk to me like he always did. He ran, I, I mean, I'm not going to say he ran full speed, but he got out the door of the, that church as fast as he possibly could. And later that week, it became public 
that he was having an extramarital affair. I didn't know what he had done, Brian. I didn't know, but I could see in his eyes. I was reading his face, and I was noticing his reaction to preaching. And his reaction was, get me out of this place. Changed the whole, changed his whole life. Pretty much lost everything, James. Paul, he is preaching away. And this gentleman gets his attention. He was excellent at reading the crowd. And he looks down at this man whose face and handicap Paul noticed. He couldn't get away from him. Paul saw his broken body in need and he saw faith in his eyes. And just at random, just at random, Paul stops preaching and he tells the man to stand to his feet. And the Bible doesn't say that the man offered up an excuse. It just tells us that the man had never walked before. Suddenly stood to his feet and began to leap as he walked. And I'm going to tell you something. That got everybody's attention. Claire is the youngest one in the family now. There she is. The boys are getting older. We used to have our very first house on New Market Road. We had a two-story Cape Cod house. And the boys' room were upstairs, and their play area was in the room right above the living room. I'm going to tell you something. It got loud. They never played quietly. It was always jumping, right? And Claire is at the age now she is always, always jumping. She is doing flips she is jumping from one the ottoman to the chair. She's jumping from one thing to another. It's good to be young, isn't it? She can, she does it. If I could do that, I probably would do that too. You know, I, I remember one time we had a three on three tournament, and I used to be able to jump up. I couldn't dunk, but I could grab the rim with both hands and I'd yank that thing down. And uh, I was out there with the guys, and I thought I'd jump up there to touch the rim, and I barely got the net. That was just a few years ago. I, was, I embarrassed myself is what I did. She jumping, she's jumping everywhere. This guy had never walked before. And suddenly he stands up and he's so excited that as he walked, he was leaping. I imagine, I picture him skipping through the crowd. And I often wonder when I'm reading the Bible, I wonder what the Bible doesn't tell us. Because I wonder if there were other cripples who were told to stand to their feet but offered an excuse. Found a reason why they couldn't do it and offered that reason. And as a result, remained crippled all their life. And because of their lack of faith, Gil, God doesn't put it in the Bible. The story could have been a glorious testimony of God's power and grace and their lives transformed. But we never knew them because they rejected faith in God, and they reasoned with themselves, and they denied the faith. And what the power of God did for this man physically offers all of us the same spiritually, because everyone has been crippled by sin. We, we try tirelessly to make ourselves the best this life has to offer, but it always leaves us wanting. And Ty, Jesus comes along, and he says, here, why don't you take my hand? 
Why don't you stand up for the first time? He says, I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to transform you into a man that people won't recognize. I'm going to give you a joy that will cause you to shed happy tears. I picture Jesus saying, hey, do you believe me? If so, then take my hand and let's walk together. I'll lead you down new roads that one day will become gold ones. I will lead you beside still waters that will soon you'll find to be clear as crystal. I'll give you an understanding of my word that will guide your path. I will give you reason to shout and jump for joy. I'll give you a comforter who will calm your fears and anxieties. And I will send you on a journey to share with others. So that you, that you might be able to walk to them and tell them how you learned to walk for the first time spiritually. God offers that to everyone. And some people, some people rise to their feet and they begin to walk and they begin to leap and they're ready to praise the Lord. And I imagine some just, I'm happy staying crippled. I'm happy just staying in my condition. And never experience what it is to be saved and forgiven. This man, he heard Paul preach. He couldn't take his eyes off of him. Paul noticed his reaction. He noticed his countenance. And he, he perceived it in this man. He had faith to be healed. And this man didn't offer an excuse. By faith, he just stood up and he saw what the power of God could do in his life. Secondly, we see the praising for the preachers in verse 11 through 18. I've learned a lot about people through the years, and I know that you have too, and I'm always amazed at how fickle all of us can be. All of us can be. In these eight verses... They're ready to offer sacrifices to this pair of gods. In verse number 11, the Bible says, And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Then in verse number 19, they're throwing rocks and trying to kill the preacher. Do you see that? You question, well, what, what happened? What, what, what took place? And I don't think we could go through the extensive list of possibilities because they're too diverse. But I was thinking about different things throughout Scripture. In John chapter 6 and verse 66, the Bible says that many of Jesus' disciples walked no more with him because of their own lack of understanding and disbelief. You can think of the crowd in Jerusalem who cried out, Hosanna, King of the Jews, one week. And the Pharisees were to the point where they were concerned that the whole world would turn to Jesus. But the next week the city was yelling, Crucify him, crucify him. And everyone who once traveled with him fled away. John the Baptist was the favorite preacher of Herod. He loved to hear the Baptist speak, but one day he would be responsible for taking off his head. And Philemon 24 and Colossians 4 verse 14, Paul mentions his fellow laborer Demas, 
Yet in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, he wrote, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. John Mark was someone who traveled with Paul and Barnabas, yet for some reason decided to part ways with the new missionaries. And he returned to, he returned to Jerusalem. And later when Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance, the contention between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that the two decided to separate their ministries. Yet in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, Paul wanted Timothy to bring Mark to see him one last time, saying, he is profitable to me for the ministry. So people can be fickle, including preachers. Their loyalties and affections can change at any time. Verse number 11, they see what Paul and Barnabas did and they thought the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. In verse 12, they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Paul and Barnabas, they were treated as gods, Ronnie. Men were glorifying and singing their praises and applauding them and they were ready to offer sacrifices on their behalf. The chief priest of Jupiter, I mean, he's already, he's already went and he's already got the ox and Judy and he's brought them in and he's got the garland off the shelf and he's brought that together and everybody has come together and they're about to offer up praise to these two individuals. And Paul and Barnabas, they come running there and said, hey, 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 stop this. We're nobody, we're just like you, we're... We're, we're men of like passions as you are, and we're, we're, we're here. We're trying to deliver you from these vanities. Don't be lifting us up as if we're somebody. We want you to get away from that. And begin pointing them back to the living God. In verse 16 and 17. When Paul preached to the Jews, he delivered the written word of God as found in the Old Testament. We saw that last week in the Jewish synagogue in Acts 13. But when he's preaching to the Gentiles, he appeals to the omnipotent omniscience of God. He says, and who, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. And that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Gil, the most important person you can have a relationship was with God. Amen? I hear you, John. I just can't see you. There you are. 
John, all of us should never be bringing people to ourselves. We need to be bringing people to the Savior. And that's what he's, that's what he's teaching here. Listen, we're, we're just like you. We're men of like passions. And we want you to come. We want you to come to the Lord. They've been delivering the hope that is found in Christ. And no doubt that is what Paul is speaking in verse number 9. That is what he is delivering. And the people, they, they decide not to offer sacrifice unto them. And we get to our last point in verse number 19, and that is the persuading of the people. He says in verse 19, And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. All of us should be very careful who we're listening to before we start casting stones. I'll say that again. All of us need to be careful who we're listening to before we start casting stones. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees were ready to cast stones at the adulterous woman. But they dropped them where they stood when they gave Jesus an opportunity to speak. And probably more times than not, we all have a little guilt in every situation. Can I get an amen? Things could have been said differently. Things could have been done differently. All of us should be cautious before we cast stones. The Pharisees persuaded the mob to choose the murderer Barabbas over the sinless Christ. Be careful who you're listening to. Investigate the matter fully and then make an informed decision. I imagine the people of Lystra were easily persuaded because of, uh, because of different things. But I think here that they, they were there and they were delivering the word and And I imagine maybe, maybe they're struggling with what took place. They're struggling with who Paul and Barnabas are. They're struggling with the message that they've delivered. They're struggling with what kind of power could these men have to raise this lame man and cause him to walk. And they're struggling with all of that. And everything that they knew was to treat them as if they're Mercurius and Jupiter. And when they come to do that and they come to offer these men praise and those men come running in there and they rent, they're tearing their clothes and saying, hey, don't do this. What you're doing is wrong. That is all they've ever known. Now, I imagine it was kind of an embarrassing sight for that priest to suddenly have to carry his oxen back to the stall and to take the garland and put it back on the shelf and to be told that it wasn't, it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the right form of worship. For whatever reason, when the, when the, when the troublemakers from, Jew, uh, from the troubling Jews in verse 19 from Antioch and Iconium, who we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, when they come to town, it was very easy for them to persuade the people. And together the ones who were just about, who were ready to treat them as gods, they've got a stone drawn and throw it at the Apostle Paul. And the people drew him out of the city 
supposing he had been dead. They supposed he had been dead not because of their imagination. That word describes that it's based on evidence. They had every reason for that man to be dead. And so they drug him out of the city. Be very careful in life who you're listening to. Be very careful of being easily persuaded. That lame man, he's just sitting there. Can't do anything, right? He can't walk, he can't move. And he's listening to that preacher preach. He's very intent. He's hanging on every word. He's listening to him. Well, you got to quit yawning so much. <laughs> he's sitting there and he's listening, and Paul just stops preaching. He says, Hey, why don't you get up? And he's ready to respond. And he gets up for the first time. And he walks and he goes running through the crowd, leaping and praising the Lord. Are you with me? They've seen that before in Acts 4, haven't they? Man, that's exciting. And everybody, all the crowd comes along. Says, man, those men are something. Those men are powerful. Those men have got something. This has got to be in, the, in their best. This is, they're, they're speaking out of ignorance. This is all that they know. They don't know about the living God. This is all new to them. And they're saying, this, has got to, this, is, this is awesome. It's wonderful. And they're ready to praise these men. And the preacher's trying to help them. And he's saying, hey, don't do this. You don't need to be doing this, okay? What you're doing is wrong here. And he's just trying to help them from committing blasphemy, from committing a greater sin. He's just trying to help them. And they leave there confused. I didn't mean anything. I didn't mean to do anything wrong. Why is, that, why is that preacher telling me this isn't right? I had my pastor sat me down many, many times and said, hey, be careful with this. Hey, be careful with that person. Hey, I remember him telling me, I remember him calling me up at the end of the service and standing right up here, not Pastor Lewis, this is years ago, Sitting, standing right there, and he says, Ricky, he says, I can, you have a lot of zeal. You have a desire for God to use you. And he says, but I want you to be careful that you don't allow that to just carry you off to some place you don't need to be. And I said, yes, sir. And I asked him, what, what, 
tell me more about what you mean. And he sat me down and he explained some things. He says, I want you to be careful with this. Some people can take that and they can get upset with that. And it affects their emotion and who does he think he is and What does he know? He doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know my intention. And he's just trying to be helpful. Just trying to be helpful. Just preaching. Just trying to be helpful. The devil can come along and he knows what you're struggling with. And he brings the right crowd in here to appeal to you. And you're easily persuaded to follow them. And the next thing you know, you've picked up a rock. And you're ready to throw it as hard as you can throw it. Be careful. Be careful how easily we're persuaded. Let's bow our heads tonight. Pianist, come, please.